well, my name is Brian Hatcher, so I am thankful to be able to share with you this morning. I am the administrative principal of a little uh, school called Franklin Classical School. Uh, I have been married for 24 years, a little bit over that. We just celebrated our 24th uh, wedding anniversary last month. Uh, three boys, 21, 17, and 15. Uh, so I spent about 20 years in church ministry uh, before transitioning to uh, be at Franklin Classical School as the administrative principal. Some of you uh, right now are feeling a certain sense of dread and fear just at the word principal, okay? So I just want to calm your fears a little bit uh, about that. Uh, th that's been there about seven months, just absolutely love uh, the, what I get to do and the investment I get to make uh, in the students there. So uh, that's a little bit about me, and I just uh, am grateful to be here. Uh, Chris Barnhill and I have uh, known each other for several years now. I've known Dean Barham uh, as well. And so if there's any problems uh, from the sermon this morning, uh, please email Chris Barnhill at fourthavenue.church. Correct? Does that work? All right. He'll be in the corner to receive all complaints uh, after this is over. So, but I want to share with you this message, Known by God's Love. Obviously, you've probably seen a theme by now this morning about love. So again, I want to reiterate, if you don't realize that tomorrow is Valentine's Day, uh, you're going to need to make a stop on the way home and make sure you have that covered. So this is a weekend when it's kind of unique that this happens, but two of the greatest forces uh, in the world are meeting today valentine's day in love in the super bowl now technically i don't think i'm allowed to say super bowl so uh, i think it's the big game or something like that uh, so this is it right you've got the little candied hearts we all know those those actually never go uh, they never expire uh, if you find some of those from 1960 uh, they're probably still edible uh, and then you've got the Super Bowl on the one side. So uh, this is quite a fact. But we celebrate this day. St. Valentine, just to give you a little bit of history, I understand that. I come from a school, so I have to teach a little bit of things there. St. Valentine, uh, what we celebrate today is not really in line with who St. Valentine and why the feast was commemorated in the 4th, 5th century by the Pope at that time. Uh, Valentine was a bishop in the early church during the Roman persecution and was martyred in 200 in 69 AD. Uh, he was known for preaching the gospel despite what the, uh, the Roman emperor said and was helping the poor. So actually it's a pretty incredible story, but we transition it to this celebration of love uh, much, much, many, many years later. So I want to share with you, uh, as we talk about that, if you open up your Bibles to 1 John 4. So and I'm going to go fast. So they told me that I get 30 minutes. Uh, I, I normally go an hour, hour and a half. Uh, so we're going to cram a lot. And you're going to find out that I talk fastly and my brain works in funny ways. So I'll, I'll roll off into some tangents and some streams, just motion or something if I'm off there. But let's read this. First John 4, 7 through 12. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another. It sounds familiar, doesn't it, right? Because the same John that wrote the John 13 wrote this, right? Uh, for the love, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live 
through him in this is love not that we have loved god but that he loved us notice the order there by the way uh, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins everybody say propitiation let's try that again propitiation See, now you can go to lunch after this, and you can throw that out there and look really, really cool. It's a word that means payment uh, for a debt, by the way. Uh, propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So that's such a challenging uh, scripture for us and a reminder that we are known by God's love we ought to love one another what by the way if you've been in church for a little while I got saved at 15 years old uh, it was in a, a Baptist church at that time and so I attended that I was called into ministry about a year after that and I'm just going to tell you sometimes inside of the church the last thing you see is people loving one another is that safe to say? I don't want to make presumptions about your church in, in here, but the reality is, is we're human beings, and sometimes we can struggle with those things. So, but the believer is supposed to be marked by our love for one another. And John is fascinating. John is one of the original 12 disciples. He's the apostle. In fact, he was nicknamed the apostle of love. He writes about this. Now, he's kind of funny because he actually refers to himself as the beloved or the disciple whom Jesus loved when he writes the Gospel of John. That's pretty gutsy, by the way. I don't know how many of you would you refer to yourself that way in that, but that's what John did. But he writes so much about that. But John was remarkably impacted by Jesus. When you read about John in the Gospels, which he, by the way, tends to leave out of his Gospel, when you look at the other ones, you find out that uh, James and John were brothers. They were both called to follow Jesus. They were fishermen by trade. They owned a business, fishing business, probably partnered with Peter in, the, in, a, in a fishing conglomerate there. And they were called and they dropped everything and they followed him. Jesus actually called them the sons of thunder. The thought is, is that he nicknamed him that because they were loud, argumentative, and fought all the time. All right? Sons of thunder. John so think about when you read a, a verse or, or a verses like this, think about John is also one of the, the disciples who when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the last week of his life on earth, John actually asked Jesus if he could call down lightning onto a Samaritan town to wipe it off the face of the earth. Does that sound like the apostle of love? I mean, now most of us, really wish we could do that right you've been on the interstate you've been driving you've seen somebody out there that driving in a way that you really wish you could call down fire from heaven and say wipe that off you need to be honest this is church you can't lie <laughs> we've been there so but that's john john is also the disciple that witnessed the trial in the execution of jesus on the cross he was at the foot of the cross and was charged with taking care of jesus's mother mary He's so impacted by that. Look at the switch and how he lives his life following that. So what do we take from this? What do we learn? What do we begin to see in all of this? First off, God's character is overwhelming, overflowing, unconditional love. Verse 8, God is love. Now the Greek language, which is what this letter is written in, 
the Greek language actually has four words for love. Four. Here in our English, we have one, really. We have a few things that match up that, but the, but the Greek language actually have four separate words that are translated love. Three of them, I would call and maybe characterize as they are self-serving loves. Eros, which is sexual in nature, lust, that sort of thing. Uh, phileo, which is brotherly love, right? Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Uh, and then one of my favorites, which I, I get wrong a lot, but stoiga, uh, if I'm remembering how to pronounce it correctly, which is guts. It actually is a Greek word for the guts, like it's the affection in there. But those are largely self-centered loves that we have. They're transactional in nature. If we love somebody with that, we expect something in return. But see, there's this fourth word. This is the word that's used all through John's writings when he phrases that God is love, and that's agape. Now, you've seen it around. You've seen it used. It gets intertwined in a lot of things. A lot of uh, preachers, a lot of ministers, a lot of people will, will lift up agape as this, this uh, hallmark of who we ought to be. And that's, that's rightfully so. But what does it mean when it says God is Love, agape is a completely unconditional covenantal love. See, in a contract, two people enter to an agreement that they say as long as both sides perform the things that are agreed on, then the contract stays valid. In a covenant, two groups enter into an agreement and the, and the covenant stays valid regardless of the behavior of the parties. It's based on the individual character. See, agape is a covenantal love. It's based on God's character, not ours. And praise the Lord for that, right? Because we don't fulfill our side of that contract, that covenant with him. But yet he loves us all the more and all the still. It's, it's based out of that. So now, um, I will tell you, and I'm going to share something with you just as we work through it. Um, it's actually a little bit of a struggle for me to call and say that God is love. See, I'd much rather God be holy, which God is holy, but I'd rather that be the, the fundamental thing that everything flows out of. See, with this, when John says God is love, John is pointing out to us that love is the fundamental characteristic of God. It's the thing out of which everything else flows. See, it's easier for me to say God is holy because then there's a standard. There's something that I can look at and I can try to abide by. See, but what does that do? It flips it around and it makes the action, the onus is on me to perform. But when God is love, it's no longer on me. And the challenge that I have, the reality that I face with that in myself, it reminds me of the depth of my own sin. How far, how undeserving, how incapable I am of living up to that standard of that. See, in my honesty with you, most every, every relationship that I have, most everything that I do, it's hard for me not to try to make it a self-serving thing. I'm a human being. I expect things. They're transactional. I do this, you do that. It's the kind of thing. It's one of the great joys being a husband, being a father, is trying to learn how to love without conditions. I talk a lot about early on in my wife and I's marriage. I used to think that if I had unloaded the dishwasher or helped clean up after dinner, then there'd be something else after that. I'd get rewarded for that, right? But guys, 
agape-based love, which is the love of God flowing through us, we ought to be able to unload a dishwasher, fill it, clean dishes, make dinner, whatever it is, without expecting anything in return. It's the joy of being able to give out of ourselves, to serve in a way. That's the love that, that God is. That's what God shows us in all of it. Is it easy? Oh gosh, no. It's not. Not at all. But that's why God works through us. So, so God's character is overflowing unconditional love. As followers, our character should reflect God. Right? Verse 11, love one another. You see it. This is the command that he gives us. Love one another. Agape. Love unconditionally one another. See, it's a great challenge in all of that. And we'll be honest with that, right? That's difficult to love in that way. To let go of those things. To offer grace. See, to understand God's love for us in what grace truly is, we have to be willing to acknowledge how far away from God we really are, how much of a sinner we are, how not good we really are. When our tendencies as human beings is to establish, no, I'm really actually a pretty good person. Look at, look at the good that I can do. That's the challenge that we face. You see in the background of these, these slides is actually Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, and that's that's God, uh, and why, why he has to be a long, flowing, bearded, gray-haired man, it is. But uh, I don't know, I, you ever picture God in a different way? This is one of the tangents, by the way. <laughs> you know, like why does he have to have long, flowing, gray hair? I don't know, but he does. Um, but he is reaching out, this is the image of when he's reaching out uh, in touching the finger of Adam. I think one of the challenges that we have in our world is we ask the question is why if we have a God who is love, why is there so much suffering and evil and bad in the world around us? Why would anybody be faced with hell at the end of their physical life? I think one of the great challenges is when I look at that and I see a God who is so much love, who loves us so much that he's willing to give us life in spite of our rejection of him, in spite of our reactions to him. God loves us so much, he gives us the breath to live and to be a part of this thing. How incredible a God that is. So but he calls on us as followers, as, as, uh, as believers, to love one another, to reflect us. So how do we do that? That's the challenge, right? The, 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 the very difficult thing that we have to do. What does it look like? What I want to challenge you with is that God works from the inside out. And I'm going to tell you, you know, this is maybe a moment of confession for me. The, the struggle I had early on, I told you I got saved at 15 years old. Um, and, and very rapidly, it was very much a behavior-based system, right? You act right. You do good things. You do the right things. And God will stay happy with you. Does that sound like a God who is love? I have to perform. I had to read my Bible, have a quiet time every morning. I had to, I had to pray. And then, then there was always somebody who prayed more than you, got up earlier than you, did all of these things. It was an action-based system. And then I began to realize and be hit over the head, which it, it, that takes quite a bit for me, actually. Uh, I think God has hit me over the head enough that I have to have a flat spot back here uh, as he works through it. 
but God works from the inside out. That's verse 12. If we love, God, God's working from inside of us outward to that. It's not self-serving. It's not based on saying, look at me. It's saying, look at God working through me. It's a lifelong pursuit. So what does the life look like that's characterized by the love of God? So we're going to, I'm going to move you to 1 Corinthians 13 in this. Now here's something funny, and I, and I just, uh, for the life of me, I don't know if, if you've ever thought about this, but I really don't think that Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, was writing a letter to the church in Corinth, I don't think Paul, in the midst of writing to them, thought, you know what, I'm going to pause, let's put a poem down that should be read at weddings in the future. Let's get this out. Let's get this on paper. Let's make sure that every minister has something to read at a wedding, all right, in 2,000 years. I don't think Paul was thinking that. So the reality of the church in Corinth, you might look around here, and there's, I'm sure, plenty that I don't know. Uh, I, but like I said, I've spent years in churches. There might be some dysfunction in there. Okay? But no matter how dysfunctional you might think your church is, you don't get close to the dysfunction of the church in Corinth. All right, they are an episode of Jerry Springer. Some of you are not old enough to know what that reference is. And I don't necessarily recommend that you go back and watch any of the shows to figure that out. But Corinth was an episode of Jerry Springer. They just were. They were a mess. An absolute mess. You had a situation where one man was having engaged in an affair with a stepmother. The church was celebrating it. The, the wealthier people were getting drunk at communion before the less wealthy people could show up and partake in it. They were a mess. They were all over the place. And so Paul writes to correct a lot of these issues in there. And then he comes into to chapter 12. He talks about the spiritual gifts and the, the places of service, which, by the way, all of us are wired. God gifts us through the Holy Spirit in a way that we are meant to uplift and encourage the church body around us. So if you're not using your gift inside of the church to build it up, to encourage the people around you, you need to really pray about what God would have you to do. You're welcome. Did I get it? All right. No. But from that point, because that was one of the dysfunctions of the church in Corinth, is that they were lopsidedly emphasizing certain gifts and putting their services, whatever they looked like in that time, into chaos. Completely unreflective of a loving God. Pressuring each other, telling you had to be a certain way. We just think things are different now, like, we're, like the, all these things are new. No, Satan has attacked the church in the same way for centuries, just using different names for it, okay? So in the middle of this letter, Paul recognizes this little chapter. He, in fact, he doesn't even say there. I didn't have chapters there. In fact, Greek, this, you don't want, this is extra. You, this is free for you. But Greek manuscripts would have been all capital letters, no punctuation, no spaces. Just think in your own English-speaking mind, trying to read that and understand what it all meant, right? So, but Paul, Paul in the middle of this, he's talking about spiritual gifts and the, and the exercise thereof. He writes 1 Corinthians 13. 
And so what does that say? We're going to break that out into to four sections in that. Let me grab this. <clears throat> so if you flip over to 13, and you heard it, it was referenced here right before communion, talking about it. And we're going to look at something that happens inside of this passage that Paul, I think, intentionally does to remind us that God is love. And he says, if I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may, uh, so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. So that's the, that's the first section. Here you go. One through three. Right actions, wrong motives, i.e. no love, equals nothing. Yeah. That might feel really challenging. But even inside of the church, the right actions minus God's love directing it is actually worthless. That hurts a lot. Now, as we read through this and work through this, I want to share something with you. Um, in the original language, all through this passage, Paul does something kind of unique. In the, in the Greek culture, how many of you have heard of a man named Plato? Not Plato, Plato. All right? Life would be still a lot simpler, easier if we just all focused on Plato instead of Plato. But how many of you heard of Plato? Right? What was, Plato was famous for what analogy? Cave. Who said it? Back there. All right. Good. The cave. The cave analogy is, a, is not, Plato believed that everything on earth was a form, a shadow of the true forms. Back there. Now, I'm not necessarily preaching to you that Plato had it all correct. I'm just trying to get you the connection of the Greek culture and who Paul was writing to in this. Plato in the cave was the idea of a man, uh, men uh, chained where all they saw were shadows. And then eventually they were let loose of those things and they could see the truest form. So Plato believed there was a truest form. Something fascinating that happens when Paul writes this is he uses the Greek article. Now we, we don't really do this in the English language, but he uses the Greek article with the word agape. Hey, agape. Uh, it looks like a little in with a long tail. In the Greek culture, when that was used that way with a, with a concept such as love, it signified something greater, the truest original perspective uh, form of that thing. So when Paul says love, here love is patient, love is kind, he's actually saying the love, i.e. the truest form of this is patient. What's the truest form of it? Remember what did, what did John say? God is love. Therefore, God's love throughout 1 Corinthians 13 is what Paul is actually referring to in this. So love is patient, love is kind. He goes on, so we see right actions and wrong motives, no love is nothing. He goes, love is, uh, he goes on, love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, love does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act disgracefully, it does not seek its own benefit, it is not provoked, does not keep an account of a wrong suffered. Doesn't that sound far more like God's love than our love? This is yes, this is no. Okay, all right. Um, 
It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love does not seek its own glory. When God's love is flowing through us, remember God works from the inside out. When God's love is working through us, we don't seek our own glory. It's not about us anymore. It's about faithfulness. It's about trusting that. It's letting God work through that. God's love, not our own. It's often interesting to watch in however you feel about it. Oftentimes, for me, if I want to know if somebody's seeking their own glory or not, just count how many personal pronouns they use when they talk. If it's pretty heavy to an I and a me, I think there ought to be a question there. That's just me. Please don't count mine. <laughs> just ask that one. So love doesn't seek its own glory. That's four through seven. Uh, verse eight, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. This is incredibly accurate. Remember, he is challenging the church at Corinth that had elevated certain gifts as everybody had to have those gifts. And everybody was clamoring and fighting to exercise a gift that they didn't really have. Paul's trying to correct that in them. So he says, if, uh, if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. And I love this verse, by the way. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. Right now we view our world around us through a dirty window. That's what Paul is saying. What we see, what we experience, what we know, what we walk through is a dirty window. But then the day comes when it will all be revealed. And we will know fully because God who already fully knows us think about that for a moment God knows everything about you your life your good your bad your strengths your weaknesses he knows about the secret things he knows about the stuff that you've tried to hide in the very darkest corners of your heart from everybody else in the world and God still loves you and he gave his son to pay the debt of your sin because of his love for you. Finally, we get to verse 13. Most of us would probably know this by heart, right? Now these three remain, faith, hope, love. In your English translations, typically we'll say, in the greatest of these is love. But see, we talked a little bit there about Paul's use of the article with, with the word agape. Here's an instance where Paul switches and when he says faith, hope, and love, that love there does not have the article with it. But the second love, greatest of these, as we translate it, is the love. What does that mean to you and me? It means here's what I'm going to suggest to you. You don't have to agree with me, and I'm perfectly fine with you being wrong and me being right. Totally fine with it. Paul is pointing out, I think we would probably agree that for us, our three greatest virtues in life are faith, hope, and love. Believing in something, hoping for something, and loving somebody else. 
Those are probably our three greatest things. When really right now we live in a culture that has tried to elevate love above everything else, but not God's love, not agape love, the other three, the self-serving loves, and replacing God's love with those three. But we have these three great virtues, faith, hope, and love. But Paul is actually pointing out that God's love surpasses even our greatest of virtues and is greater than those things. It can actually be translated, now these three, we have these thing, three things, faith, hope, and love, but greater than these is God's love even greater than those things. God works from the inside out. As we wrap up this morning, I just want to challenge you, remind you, we spend all sorts of time investing in horizontal relationships with people, right? We're thinking about how do we do these, how do we look good, how do we do these things, how do we serve in this ministry, how do we accomplish this thing? It's all horizontal, right? It's all going this way. It's all interactions. But yet God is trying to remind us that the vertical has to come before the horizontal. The vertical feeds the horizontal. 1 Corinthians 13 is a vivid reminder that God in our relationship with him then flows in and outwardly to everyone else. It's freedom. True, honest, pure freedom. Freedom from other people's perspectives about who you should be. Freedom from being condemned by sin in our life. It's not an indulgence, it's not a license to do whatever we want, but it's we are free from the expectations of the world because God has already declared his love for us in Christ. When God looks at you, when God looks at me, he sees the payment that Christ made on our behalf. The debt of sin is gone. And the love of Christ remains. So I want to challenge you as you go out there to think about those things. Am I walking in the love of Christ? Am I focused on that? Is my vertical in shape before my horizontal and all of that? I want to close this out in prayer and they're going to lead us in a final song and and close out the service. I really thank you all uh, for letting me share with you. And uh, would love to say hi to you afterwards. I don't know how that works. Do I assume? Just yeah. All right. I'll be somewhere. Be somewhere. All right. But let's pray. Close this out. Father, I thank you. Um, you are such an incredible God that you would love us the most amazing thing in the world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us on how we put this into practice this week. Let us find opportunities that we can choose to add value to other people. Not because it helps us or makes us look good or any of those things. But, Lord, because you have called us to love one another. Let us find ways to add value this week. Lord, we love you. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.